Across the nation, pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review, made by the fans for the fans. Ragin' Review coming in hot. 36 hours from baseball first pitch. Actually, a little less than 36 hours. Russo Park tomorrow night, all this weekend. The Cajuns welcome number 14, UC Irvine, to town. Welcome to Rage Interview. Matt Miguez, Josh Jagno, man about town, joins me. And the return of the new father, Jerry Abair. Jerry, buddy, welcome back. We Good missed you, back, man. Our listeners didn't miss you, but we missed you. Well, I, I, I missed you guys too. <laughs> had some uh, other obligations I had to tend to this past month, but it's good to be back. Yeah, man. You know, it, it it's been a while since we since we've had the three of us. Um, it's actually a party of four today. Jerry has has baby Allie laying next to him, uh, hanging out with us while we. Bring you guys the the lowdown on some Cajuns baseball before this weekend. But before we do that, we'll get into baseball and softball in the second segment. And then in the third segment, we're going to have a juicy conversation about what's next for Raging Cajuns basketball. A little family heart-to-heart, if you will. Yeah, come, uh, come to Jesus. But uh, opening segment, we're, we're of course going to talk about some football. We are three days removed from the Super Bowl as the Los Angeles Rams defeated the Cincinnati Bengals 23-20. to The big headline for us from this Super Bowl is that Raymond Kale is now a Super Bowl champion. Um, that makes the second Super Bowl champion in the last five years to come out of UL. Uh, he and Elijah McGuire both have Super Bowl rings from the last few years. So congratulations to Kale. Uh, we opened the show with some Dr. Dre. Um, that was a that was a nod to the halftime show, guys. What were your thoughts on uh, on the halftime show from Sunday night? I'll go. I, I thought that. Uh, well, first of all, let me say I'm glad that we pulled Jerry out of semi retirement to come record with us. You know, his time is uh, very valuable these days. So, welcome back, G. Glad to have you. Um, and before I start on the Super Bowl, I wanted to say if you guys weren't bantering about on the Twitter uh, verse this morning. I want to say thank you to the Vermilion, the school paper for finally getting our, our athletic branding, right? Um, I mean, kudos to the guy who responded to me. Uh, I was a little bit forceful in my displeasure about uh, the UL Lafayette stuff, uh, but we keep shooting ourselves in the foot with this branding stuff. So the name is important. Anybody that is an alum, of the school, anybody that cares about the area needs to continue to fight the name battle. I just had to say that before we got too far into anything. Uh, but Super Bowl, okay. I thought that uh, the idea to kind of reach back and pull in the Gen Xers and the the older millennials was a great idea. Uh, I grew up on West Coast hip hop, so like a lot of you. Uh, but I don't know. I didn't think the execution was great. I think there was 
there were some things they could have done better. Like for example, I was like others, I was waiting for the Pac hologram to come out. Didn't see it. That was a little disappointing. I was waiting. I was waiting for Snoop to hop in one of those, those old, um, you know, those old cars with the, with the Dayton's and spokes and everything and start hopping on the hydraulics. That never happened. Uh, I don't know. It felt a little subdued. I didn't love the setup. I didn't love the, the, the stage and everything. I don't know. It, there was something that was missing for me. Uh, love the idea. Didn't love the execution. I, I thought it was one of the, in my personal opinion, I thought it was one of the better halftime shows of, of recent memory. I agree with you that, that there was some, some details that, that could have been better executed. Um, obviously throwing Tupac in there somewhere. Uh, Dre, Dre did a little bit at the end. Um, I don't know if you caught that moment when, when Eminem, when Eminem knelt right there at the end, uh, Dre had started playing a Tupac song. And so that's when, that's when Eminem knelt. Uh, of course people, people made that out to be a a Colin Kaepernick thing. And that wasn't the case whatsoever. Oh, I knew that was going to happen, but I, I, my favorite part of the show is when Dre started playing the piano. So it added a little extra layer there. And uh, I, no, I agree. Did you guys see the the video that somebody edited, and they had Dre sitting at the piano, and they they put they overlaid the Vanessa Carlton song. Oh Jesus! <laughs> oh Jesus! <laughs> no, it's the best thing I've seen on the internet in a very long time. And then it, it you know everybody weird. everybody freaking out about uh, there was a there was a video. I don't know if the camera was supposed to catch this, but right before they started performing, Snoop Dogg took a hit of a blunt. Like okay, right, so wa- two, water's, two, water's wet. What do you expect? <laughs> two things. Number one, it's Snoop Dogg we're talking about. Number two, recreational marijuana is legal in California. What the guy do wrong? Like obviously, it's not the, it's not the best look for TV. But but let's be totally honest, the camera probably shouldn't have been pointed at him that early anyway. <laughs> Dude, look, who cares? It's a bunch to get off my lawn, people. Right. You know, a lot of people that don't even listen to hip hop don't want hip hop as the halftime show. They're still talking about, you know, the who from 10 years ago. So I have hey, absolutely look, no. The who, the who remember, though, remember, though, the who played in the Super Bowl that the Saints were in. So I can't I can't tell show. you a second of that halftime show. Oh, it was good times. But look, I, I thought I thought it was nostalgic. I think that's the best way to describe the halftime show. Very much nostalgic. It, you know, the music spanned through two different generations. So I, I really appreciated uh, a lot of the music. Um, you know, I'm, I'm an old soul when it comes to music. I'm more of a classic rock guy. But I also, you know, my, my musical taste is all over the place. I can one minute I'm listening to, you know, Elvis. And the next minute I can listen to Snoop. So I, I, I really appreciated um, the music. I really appreciated the production. I thought... One thing that I really liked was the fact that they were able to start off with Dre and Snoop. And then they also went into like Mary J. Blige. And then they went into 50 Cent. Then they went into Eminem. And they kind of brought, they kind of, like I said, they brought two or three generations together through, through, uh, through hip hop and R and B. Um, I would put, I would put this halftime show in the top five. I think Bruno Mars, Prince, definitely in my top. I'll give you, I'll give you my top five right now in order. Go ahead. Prince, Michael Jackson, and 93. Of course. No, absolutely. And then three and four are this year, and Bruno Mars could be interchanged either way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Either way. You know, I I know, uh, Josh, you had mentioned uh, people talking about the who. You know, I do appreciate, you know, the Stones played one year. I know Tom Petty played another year. Uh, Paul McCartney. I mean, I'm a huge Beatles fan. So I do like the fact that they do kind of mix up 
uh, the, the different types of genres. You kind of have to, you know, and then, you, you do. I mean, and then Timberlake number five. Justin Timberlake is Justin well. Timberlake yeah. so, with number I mean, five. It, look, it was it was a good halftime show. I thought I, I love the memes and I love the different uh, reactions on social media uh, from Fifty Cent hanging upside oh, down. He doesn't I'm, quite look like the Fifty. From I'm glad you brought ago. that up. I'm glad you brought that up. I saw a meme the other day and it said Fifty Cent looking more like Seventy Five Cent, and I was like, okay, first of all, first of all, none of us look the way that we did. I mean, I can't say 20 years ago because I was four years old 20 years ago, but y- you get my point. Like, we don't look the same that we did, you know, in, in an earlier life. Secondly, if you look closely at the dude, it's not fat. The dude's been in a gym. He's yoked. Yeah, maybe so, but I lost all respect for 50 after that first pitch at the Mets game. I just can't Oof. look at him the same. I can't, even listen. I can't even listen to the music anymore. It's like, God, dude, learn how to throw a baseball. You see the baseball just fly in another direction every time you hear his music come on now. That's all oh, you got. Man. How do you throw a baseball backwards? I mean, what? Yeah, so, you know, I, I enjoyed the halftime show. Um, you know, Eminem playing Lose Yourself brought me back to, like, fifth grade basketball run-out songs. The, the good the good old days but uh let's talk about let's 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 shift back to to Cajuns football now and we'll we'll start with Max Mitchell and Percy Butler uh showing out at their at their all-star games uh Butler played in the East West Shrine game and Max Mitchell played in the Reese's Senior Bowl uh both of them had standout performances uh Percy got an interception in the East West Shrine game did he not? Not 100% on how he actually played in the game. I spent a lot of time watching the film from the seven-on-sevens and the practices leading up to the game where I can't tell you the amount of pundits that had excellent things to say about him. They see him as a, a nickel corner in the NFL. Yep. Great instincts, very twitchy, good hips. Uh, that was something that I, I read a lot. I, I, see, I see a lot of Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. In person. Oh, yeah. That's actually a pretty decent comp. I think he, I, I don't know. I think he might, I, you know, where Chauncey really gets you is where he jams you at the line and he's very aggressive up front. I think Percy has legit cover corner skills. That's where I think he sets himself apart. And his, his, uh, his wingspan is so long that he's just a problem. No matter where you put him on the field, he's going to be a problem in a matchup. If you want to try to put a, a, a tight end on Percy, that's just not going to work. He's too quick. You try to put a wide receiver on Percy, he can run with anybody. I mean, look at the – I don't know what his actual 40 time was, but it was impressive. Uh, four, five, eight maybe? Not exactly sure. Don't quote me on that. Uh, but I, those guys are going to the combine, so we're going to find out, both Max and Percy. Um, we said it when he was a true freshman here. He's got something extra. He's special. He's got it. He can hit. He can cover. He can stop the run. He does it all. And now that we're seeing professionals that – scout these guys on a regular basis, say some of the things that we thought um, it's exciting, you know, Percy's in particular, but Max, Max was actually, uh, he was going against some all America type talent in practice and in the game. And not only did he hold his own, he stood out. And to me, that's the story. Max Mitchell was a a one star that had two offers when he got here. So that's awesome. Yep. Um, I think, 
I think the best way to describe Max Mitchell is, you know, as we all watched the Super Bowl the other night, one of the biggest things, and really it's been lingering throughout the playoffs, is Cincinnati's lack of an offensive line. And as of late, the latest, I think, I don't know if it was Kuyper, one of the pundits had a mock draft and in the second round, they have Cincinnati picking or drafting Max Mitchell. So it just goes to show you the value that he brings to this draft. When you have uh, a Super Bowl team uh, picking you as a, as a mock uh, second rounder. And it just goes to show you like how, how important uh, he is as a player to one of these types of teams. So, yeah, I mean, I think that speaks volumes um, and seeing, (laughs) seeing the practice going into that game, uh, from Max Mitchell and seeing the way he dominated at these at these uh, through these drills, he's going to be very valuable for somebody. He's going to be another Robert Hunt. He's going to be another Dotson, um, and I think he's going to start. I think he's going to be valuable valuable enough to be in that starting uh, lineup or the starting five of an of somebody's offensive line. He's going to land somewhere, so he's definitely got yeah. some upside to him as well. Maybe you guys saw something different, but did I see that he projects as a right guard in the league? Is that where they had him? Okay, so. So, so he's going to be on the right side of the line. I don't know if he lasts until the end of the second round, especially for these right hand or these, uh, excuse me, these left-handed quarterbacks. Somebody needs to protect his blind side, uh, you know, say a Kyler Murray or a, a, a Russell Wilson, if he stays in Seattle, all of those teams are picking mid mid round, first round, second round. And Seattle still has their draft picks uh, in the second round. I don't think they have a first round pick, but if I am a coach or I'm a GM of a left-handed quarterback and Max puts on that performance at the East West, I don't think he lasts into the, at the end of the second round. Uh, do you guys have an opinion on that? I think he goes maybe mid second round. I mean, I, I agree. Um, the only thing I would say is I don't think Seattle's going to pick him because I don't think Russell Wilson's going to stay there. I think Russell Wilson's going to pull it. I think he's to the point where he's going to pull Deshaun Watson. And it's a trade me or I'm sitting. I think the problem is in these drafts these days, sometimes the GM surprise you. Um, do I think Max Mitchell is is valuable enough to to sneak into a maybe bottom half of the first round, top second, top pick of a second round? Yeah, I do. But but these GMs these days, they 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 kind of throw a curveball at you when they go after these guys. And, you know, even though it's like the Saints, sometimes you think they need a certain position and they go draft somebody else. It's kind of been uh, Mickey Loomis's, you know, to me, his downfall sometimes uh, when the Saints draft. It's kind of like they've been doing over the past few years, drafting centers instead of maybe going after a wide receiver. And that's just my opinion. But, no, I think it depends on, you know, as far as personnel goes. Look, I think you're right, Josh. I do think, you know, if he's going to play on the right side of the line, he will have to defend some of these quarterbacks blind side for these left-handed quarterbacks, especially – one advantage Max Mitchell has is he played under a, a, a sort of a run first offense with us um, under Billy Napier scheme. So a lot of these teams are starting to do that. A lot of more RPO, a lot more run first type offenses, a lot more dual threat quarterbacks. I think he's going to fit that more than say someone who likes to be a pass heavy or a pocket passer type uh, offense. Agree. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I like Max Mitchell as a, as a second rounder, um, Josh, I could see you, I could see your point where it could be an early second rounder. I think he fits in very well with Cincinnati. I agree with that. The last point I'll make on Max, I think Joe Burrow getting through the playoffs, being sacked something like 27 times in three games, I think that that puts more of a premium. Even I mean, look, we all know that the offensive line is such an important part of a, a successful team. But the fact that they couldn't get it done – they could, you know, it's still a bit of a miracle that they made the game, but I think that it puts even more of a premium 
on drafting these offensive linemen, especially a guy like Max. And, and there's a few others that are making a move up the draft boards. I think it just it sheds a little extra light on how good and how important it is to have a good offensive line to get to the ultimate prize, which is to win a Super Bowl. And look, if he makes it to Cincinnati, I think he fits in great, and I think he'd do a great job. Uh, but I still have a sneaky suspicion that he's a mid-round pick. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. He definitely brings a lot of value to to any NFL team that needs offensive line help, and we have a track record of putting good offensive linemen in the NFL in the last couple of years. So I, I could definitely see that. On the coaching front now, we're losing two, gaining one. Wes Neighbors has decided to go to Maryland. I do not remember his official title at Maryland. Josh, maybe you can help me out. I think they run a two DC uh, a two system. D- okay. Co-defensive coordinator. But look, people have to remember about Wes. He was the leading candidate. For the DC. Until Lamar right. Morgan said yes. And a lot of people uh, kind of expected him to get the job. Uh, I think we made the right hire with Lamar. You guys know how I feel about Lamar. But I'm not shocked, and I don't think Mike's shocked either, that Wes went out and shopped himself and, and found another job. Maryland has contacts to, uh, to to Louisiana. Keep in mind, Jim Harris is there. I'm not saying that Jim had anything to do with it, just to say that there's some sort of familiarity between the two programs. I think Wes is going to do fine. He's a nice young coach. Uh, maybe he could have done well here. We'll never know. I like the hire of Lamar. I think Wes will be fine in Maryland, but yeah, I, this is not surprising to me at all. And then the second one, I mean, you can't blame Rory at all. Rory Seagrest going to be the defensive line coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, are you kidding me? Look, you, you can't gonna, blame the you're guy. You're not going to say no to the NFL. Right. Look, you've got two coaches that just left. You just We just mentioned one's going to the Big Ten. The other one's going to the NFL. And, and look, the reality is, and you know, I've seen debates on message boards about this kind of stuff. People asking, well, why would he go to the Why would he go to Jacksonville? Well, it's the NFL. It's the same thing with Maryland. Well, Maryland's not a winning program. Well, it's the Big Ten. So, you know, these coaches, at the end of the day, it's a job, you know, and I know there's certain – you know, it's, it, it's a little more unique for someone like a Mike Desermo who is loyal to the program because he's from here. He put his blood, sweat, and tears into this program. But most coaches, they don't think like that, you know? It's kind of like the whole story, everybody getting all upset when Saban went to Alabama. There were a lot of people in Louisiana, oh, how could he betray LSU like that? Well, he doesn't care. It's a job. It's a career. And so some of these coaches are going to look at it like that. They're going to go to Maryland. They're going to go to Jacksonville, and they're going to try to up their career. They're going to give themselves the better position to make more money, create a better uh, uh, job on their resume to one day maybe become a head coach, right? So guys like Wes Neighbors, who is an up-and-coming coach, eventually working his way up, you know, look, congratulations to both guys. I wish them the best of luck. And, look, hopefully we can bring in two coaches who can replace them and and fill in that void that uh, the, of the or the impact that they left here at, at our program. For sure. And, you know, Rory Seagrass personally for me is our biggest our biggest loss. Um, I, I thought that he was going to anchor the new coaching staff. He was going to be one of those anchors. I'm not upset with, with him leaving because obviously, I mean, would you be upset with somebody moving from Goodyear tires to Michelin tires? I mean, that's exactly right, Jerry. You said it right. It's a career. I know that these guys have a certain amount of loyalty while they're here, but when other opportunities present themselves, I mean, you can't be mad at them. Uh, I, I, I think it's going to leave a big hole. It's a big hole to fill. I got, all the confidence in the world and Mike to find somebody that's going to do a great job. Um, I just know how much the players and the people in the building really like Rory. Uh, so yeah, that that's tough. And, and 
And if you look at the transfer portal and you look at all the, the, the coaching changes that are still happening, it's rec- it's a record this much movement this late in the season in the off season or this early in the off season. I mean, we're in the spring ball almost, almost in the spring ball, but guys are on campus and they're doing workout. I mean, we're in the middle of identity right now. So uh, yeah, it sucks to lose a coach when you're already working on the next season. Uh, we're not going to try to downplay that at all. I mean, I get it. Uh, but again, it's Jacksonville Jaguars. It's the NFL. It's, it's the pinnacle of their profession. So, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully Michael address the issue soon. I'm sure he will, but yeah, thanks coach Seagrass for everything you did here. We really, really appreciate all your years of service and hope you all the best in, uh, in Jacksonville. Come back to us. Lastly, Brad Bustle, former head coach, Ricky Bustle's son returning to Lafayette, um, as an offensive analyst. Am I right on that? Offensive analyst role. He was most recently at Virginia tech. I think that's a big hire. Bustle's got a great football mind. Obviously, coming, you know, say what you want about Ricky. I just I think he's got a good offensive mind, and he'll do some some good things for what has become a a pretty young and fairly inexperienced coaching staff. Well, I'll say what you want about Ricky. I'll say this: Ricky is a big reason why we're here, where we are today. He changed things here uh, early on in this process of revamping the football program. Uh, if I remember right, Brad cut his teeth in the high school ranks. And he was an offensive line assistant at Virginia Tech. Jerry, is that correct? Okay, so, you know, right then and there, you know we've got some experience. I Personally, I really like guys that start in high school. I think that it's back to the the absolute basics. It's football and only football. Uh, I, I think that the best coaches that I've ever been around started at the high school level and worked their way up to where they are. Yeah, not to me. I mean, Brad and I go way back. I mean, I've known Brad since since high school. And, you know, even when he was a player, he always kind of had that football IQ that, you know, taken after his dad. But, you know, one thing about Brad, you talk about a resume, he, you know, he started high, the high school ranks. Then he went to, um, I think, a D2, a D3 school where he was the offensive line coach. Then he became the offensive line coach of Valparaiso. FCS program. Then he went to, I think he, then he went to Virginia tech, I believe, or vice versa. So he's got, he's got experience. He's got, he's got a resume. He's built up a resume. He's got experience. And, you know, I think what makes it cool is, you know, look, let's be honest. Look, coach Ricky Bustle was relieved of his duties in 2010, you know, from a, from a standpoint like that, you know, not to be harsh, but his dad was fired here. And you would think sometimes there can be some animosity there. Brad, look, since that happened, Brad comes back to all the games. I've seen him at games before. I've seen him support this program. He still has always supported this program, regardless of what happened to to his dad. And, you know, like you said, look, I always will give credit to Coach Ricky Bustle and what he started here, the foundation he built here, um, you know, to actually show, to have our program be somewhat relevant compared to what it was before he got here. And, you know, guys like Brad Bustle played a role in that as a player. And so now he brings that knowledge and experience that he learned elsewhere and he can bring it back here. And, and one thing I'll say, um, you know, I think when you have a guy like Brad Bustle come back, you know, he gets to see what we have now that played a role in what he and his dad contributed 10, 15 years ago, you know, that where it all began. And so he gets to kind of enjoy the uh, the result of of the hard blood, sweat, and tears and work that they put in years ago when we didn't have these resources. Now he gets to enjoy that today. And so, um, you know, when you have guys come back to have to have the old crew getting back together, you know, they were able to build a lot of, they were able to build some success with really no resources 
Now they have the resources. Now they have more money. They have a bigger budget. They have a nice facility. They have stadium renovations. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what they can build here and what they can continue to grow here based off of what we already have uh, now with this success that we've been able to maintain. Great point. Yeah, that is a good point. Uh, I'm definitely excited about Brad Bustle returning. Uh, like I said, I think he's going to do a lot of good things for our offense, for our athletic department. Just the history that, that he has from his dad and even from him as a player, it, it makes sense. So I'm excited about it. Real quick, the inaugural Mike Desremo golf tournament. What you got? Yes, thank you, Matt. Uh, this is near and dear to my heart. Uh, look, this this money goes a long way to do the small ancillary things that nobody really pays attention to. It's not used for salaries, and it's not used for for you know all the things that you see on game day and things like that. It goes for these unseen things that have to be taken care of. So I know that you know it doesn't get a lot of press, but it's fun. It's awesome. It's a great opportunity to get to know some of these guys. It's a great opportunity to maybe get a feel for what they want to do, how they want to put their imprint on the program. And um, I think it's a great, a great event. It's going to be Thursday, April the 14th at Cane Row in, in New Iberia. If you guys have not been out there, the old squirrel run, these guys, they, they work so hard. They work the 18 hour days. They put in all this time to build this program and then they still got to go sell you know, they sell sponsorships and they got to find ways to generate money. This is a great way to do it. It's a four-man scramble. It starts at eight. If I remember correctly, it's going to be a shotgun start. It's an all-day event. I think it's $100. In the past, it's been $100, $400 for our team, team of four, obviously. Uh, you get to meet the coach. All the coaches will be there. Uh, you, you get lunch. There'll be a live auction. They're going to, you know, Mike's going to give a closing speech, I'm sure that it's going to be a little bit more, uh, let's call it passioned than what you'll find in the media. So it might be something that you'd be interested in just for that. You know, maybe we'll, uh, I think he's going to take questions also. If you guys can go to the uh, Raging Cajuns website, there is a, uh, there's a, a link to directly to the golf uh, tournament event deal. You go in there, you put your name, it's going to give you sponsorship details and it's going to give you an opportunity to sign up. I want to, help Mike make this the biggest tournament we've ever had. Uh, I've been to several of these things in the past. Uh, Razor Review actually sponsored one uh, for baseball last year, I think, Matt, or two years ago. Uh, and it, it was a very rewarding experience. So if you guys love football, you love the community, you want to support Des, this is a great way to do it. Again, April the 14th on a Thursday, 8 a.m. shotgun start. Going to be fun. Let's try to make that happen for Des and for the football team. No doubt about it, RagingCajuns.com for more information on that. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Diamond Sports dominating open week opening weekend for Jerry Glasgow and his softball team. And then we'll dive deep into baseball as UC Irvine coming to town starting tomorrow night. 6 o'clock first pitch Friday, 2 o'clock Saturday, 1 o'clock Sunday. Also, with this preview, we're going to be welcomed. We're going to welcome a old friend back to Cajun country. Benny Bombs returns with the Anteaters. We'll talk about that and more. Don't go anywhere. Rage and Reviews right back after this.
Schilling Distributing Company, Acadiana's top alcohol distributor for over 70 years, has been a proud supporter of Louisiana athletics for many of those years. Now, they've kindly decided to become the exclusive distributing sponsor of the Rage and Review podcast. This is just another chapter in Schilling Distributing's rich history of giving back to the Lafayette community. Starting as an Anheuser-Busch exclusive distributor, they're now expanded to include local brews for your sipping pleasure. Schilling services over 1,500 local businesses throughout the Acadiana area, employing 160 Ragin' Cajun residents, and they boast over 1,400 years of combined experience. Corporately headquartered right here in Lafayette at 2901 Moss Street, Schilling Distributing encourages Cajun Nation to enjoy their beverages responsibly and reminds you to download the Liquid Finder app today. Welcome back to Agent Review. Got all over this beat. Matt Miguez, Jerry Bear, man about town, Josh Jagdo. First segment out of the way. Got some football talk done for you guys. And now it's time to get in the meat and potatoes of this episode. And that is the Diamond Sports. We are one day away from baseball. Getting underway at the Teague between the Cajuns and UC Irvine. Softball, six games in, opened with the Louisiana Classic last weekend, off to a 6-0 start, outscoring their opponents. You ready for this? 56-2. The only team to put a run on them was Nichols. Tuesday night put two of, put two of them on the Cajuns in a 10-2 victory for Louisiana. We'll talk about who's been the weekend MVP for softball. And we'll also talk about their new pitching coach. But before we do that, let's let's get into baseball. We'll start talking about some preseason polls. Cajuns projected to finish tied for third in the Sun Belt Conference. Um, That's the coaches' poll. Yeah, and, and D one has them finishing tied for fourth. South Alabama being the preseason number one. You know, that's not really a surprise. Guys, early on, you know, what are your what are your thoughts on, you know, what, what D one had to say with the Sunbelt preview? I kind of expected it. I think I think South Alabama is is they're they're the standard right now. They're the team to beat. Um Georgia Southern had a really strong year. So of course they're gonna be in the top three. Even Troy, um, a team that we beat or we we took the series from, you know, they've always been kind of that you know, top five dark horse team. So of course they're going to be up there. And, and of course, by default, uh, whether it's coastal and us, um, I, I can see, I can see the Sunbelt being up for grabs once again. And, and even though South Al is really good, um, don't be surprised if the Cajuns, you know, give them a run for their money. The, the best thing that happened is that we have South Al at home this, this year for the three game weekend series in March. So that's going to help. Um, I think it's, I think it's a fair, I think it's a fair prediction. Um, you know, with the Cajuns, we do have some new faces, even though we have a lot of talent, uh, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but you know, from an outsider's perspective, there's a lot of unknowns with our roster. Um, even though we do have, you know, good talent that's here now, they have to go out and prove that. So until until we see otherwise, I can understand the fourth place prediction. 
I do think we will be in contention. So I think, I think they got it right. I think they got it right. And now it's time to go and, and do what we can to make sure that we stay up in that top four, top three and compete for that championship. Because I do think you, you will see multiple teams in a regional from the Sun Belt. Uh, this will not be a one bid league like last year. I do think you will have teams that compete. I do think you will have teams in the top 30 or top 40. So you know, let the cards fall where they may. I'm looking forward to this baseball season. It's going to be very competitive, especially in the Sunbelt Conference. Yeah, the, the Cajuns projected to finish first in the Sunbelt West by D1 Baseball with an overall record of 32 and 23. Interestingly, though, if you look at the awards, so they, they projected their the um, end-of-year awards, Kyle DeBarge has been named the freshman of the year. Yeah. Well, we, we think we know what we have in Kyle DeBarge, but a lot of these publications, and this is no shot at D1, uh, a lot of these publications come in and they get a small sample size example of players' abilities and, and what they think they might uh, accomplish. It's just a projection. And I love Kyle as much as anybody. Debo, I think he's a big change in our roster. I think his attitude is a breath of fresh air. Uh, but it's a projection. I really don't put a lot of stock into that. I will say this. I have my blinders on this year. I think that this is going to be the best baseball conference we've had in probably five, six years. I think that if you look at the top half of the Sun Belt, I think Coastal's due for a bounce back. I think that Troy is a wild card. They got a new coach. They got an infusion of talent. I think they're going to be able to pitch. Uh, they worry me. Uh, Texas State had a down year last year. I expect them to bounce back. Uh, Georgia Southern, we saw what they could do in the conference tournament. I think Appalachian is going to be a, a better team than they showed last year. I, they're on year number two of their coach. And uh, from from everything that they're saying out of a boon, he's a real deal. So I expect them to get a little bit better. I think the Cajuns are uh, from on paper, top to bottom, uh, offensively. I think that we're better. I think that we're more in the mold of Degs, And I think that that's going to pay dividends in conference. But I said that I'm putting my blinders on right now. And, and also, of course, South Alabama, which, I mean, you have to give them the nod. I mean, look what they've accomplished. Went to, uh, to Gainesville and beat the hell out of uh, the, you know, almighty Gators at home in, in their own, <laughs> in their own regional. That was awesome. But blinders are on because the next two weeks out of conference are going to be the best that they've been here. And I, I can't even, I can't remember the last time we put together this competitive of a schedule and this RPI benefit uh, that we'll have going forward. If you look at all of the best teams we've had in the last 10 years, they almost always started with a really hard test, whether it be on the road, whether it be in a, you know, a, a multi-team event or whether it be at home, we've played very good ranked, highly thought of programs throughout the country. And even though we've had some bumps and bruises along the way, and Degs alluded to this in, um, Kevin Foote's article that the advocate put out yesterday, even though we kind of bumped our head a little bit in those early games and that those out of conference games, it always paid off later in the season. Our teams that were good and went on to make postseason runs learned early, learned, saw what they were made of, went up against what we think are, you know, standards, blue bloods in the college baseball realm. And they carried those lessons into conference play and into tournament play. I'm, I'm excited, not necessarily, or I would say not only because of the RPI benefit, but because we're going to find out who we are early and we're going to be able to get better as the season goes on. There will be no delusions of grandeur after this next few weeks. Round Rock's going to teach us something. UC Irvine's going to teach us something. Houston's going to teach us something. Southern Miss is going to teach us something. And then we're going to get some of our rivals at home. 
So the home schedule is going to be jumping. The fans are going to be involved. If we can get off to a good start, I think it's really going to dictate what we can accomplish later in the season. And when I say a good start, I mean, look, if you look at the schedule, you feel pretty damn good about yourself if you can get out of it above 500 over the next hell month, you know? So I think conference is going to be important, of course. But look at the out-of-conference schedule. Look at what you're going up against, especially with an overhaul team. You know, I know we have some some uh, experience coming back and some guys we can rely on. But offensively, we're basically overhauled. So I, I think that the next two to three weeks, maybe a month, you're going to find out about Cajuns baseball and if, if we're back. I mean, I, I, I tend to agree. Um, I mean, like you said, UC Irvine and then the, the Round Rock Classic, you come home to play Southern Miss. I mean, there's some there's some big big names on that on that opening month. I want to tell Cajun fans right now, don't get discouraged too fast, okay? You got a three-game series against UC Irvine. You play Southeastern on Tuesday night, who's always a tough challenge. They're always a top 40 program, even from the Southland. And then you go to Round Rock and you play Stanford, you play Indiana, and you play Arkansas. Three three teams that basically compete for a spot in Omaha pretty much every year. So, you know, we're gonna we we might stumble a little bit on the way, but at the same time, this is where you find uh development and what and and especially with this new roster, Dags would be able to see you know, where he needs to put his guys and and where I think we talk about lineups about for, for this weekend, you, you kind of have to play it, play it out at least the first 10 games. And it's like that every year, but this year in particular, you're going to be seeing some good pitching in the first, you know, 10 days or so. So I, I just want to tell people, look, man, I, I'm not going to get discouraged right off the bat. We may drop a game or two, you know, we're still trying to find an identity, but I think you're right, Josh. I think as time goes on and as the season goes on, once this team starts to click and find that sweet spot in their lineups and the roster, and especially the pitching rotation and on defense, I think this team can really, really do some dangerous things. It kind of reminds me of the 2016 season. Same thing happened. We went to Houston for the Shriners Classic, got spanked by TCU, lost a heartbreaker to Texas Tech, found a way to beat Rice, lost an early uh, matchup to, to, to Louisiana Tech and LSU. And then you ran through conference because of those experiences and ended up hosting a regional, almost beating the runner-up in Arizona. So I kind of see that similarity. If we can kind of survive our way through, barring injuries and just keeping our focus, I think we're going to be fine. So we're going to be in the meat grinder for the first month, but understand, you know, we're setting ourselves up for conference, and, and I really look forward to seeing this team develop in these tough matchups. Well, you know, we, we've talked a lot about our, our program, so I don't want to spend, you know, too much time on that. Um, I do want to dive deeply into UC Irvine, but before we do that, uh, just to give some some fans one final, you know, quote from a, a baseball pundit that, that knows what he's talking about. This is what Kendall Rogers wrote as the Cajuns' outlook in his Sunbelt preview. It says, Louisiana head coach Mac Deggs has been waiting for a team that exudes all the qualities he's looking for, and this team might finally have it. The Cajuns have some terrific options on the mound with Drew Shiflett, Hayden Dirk, and others leading the way, while the offense is in good shape too, with the return of athletic Tyler Robertson, addition of Kyle DeBarge, and more. There's zero reason why this Cajuns team shouldn't be in a very strong contention for a postseason bid. Matt Deggs called this team a regional team. I agree with him. I agree with Kendall. I think this might be the best team Matt Deggs has had at Louisiana. Definitely the most talented. I think I think that you're you're 
I don't know if I would des- describe it as the most talented. I think that Matt, you know, Matt made a comment earlier uh, when he was doing an interview with Scott and he said that he said, I've won my entire life. I expect to win. And I think back to something that Kendall told us on last year's interview with him. And he said, Matt's going to win. Matt just needs, he needs the personnel to fit how he wants to win. Now you can look at that as a negative, but I don't necessarily think it's a negative. I think you can look at it both ways, but if we do have those pieces, he's going to win. You know, no matter how you think about it, you can say, well, he should adjust to his personnel. And then, look, I understand that argument. It's kind of the argument that I made last year. You know, Tony was a, a master at adapting to the players that he had, and we got used to that for a long time. Matt needs a certain type of player with a certain type of attitude uh, to, to be successful, but it, he has a track record that when he has those players, he is very, very successful. So look at it that way. I agree that we can be a, a regional team. I think that we're going to score runs and we're going to be nasty like we used to be. I agree with that. If you, Like I said, I've been around the team a lot since fall. I get the feeling and I understand the competition that Matt's looking for. I think this team has it. I love their attitude. It's different. It's a different feel. Are we going to be able to pitch our way into the postseason? That is yet to be seen. There's some guys that are going to really make uh, – they're either going to make or break the starting rotation and the bullpen. I know we have names that we can rely on. You guys, uh, you know, we, we've kind of talked about it, but – Look at this weekend rotation. Two names that you did not think were going to be in the rotation. So we got Drew Shiflett, a Texas transfer, starting on Friday. We got Peyton Havert, who, I mean, if you think back to the two-lane series last year, he was getting some, uh, some time on the mound, which told me a lot about his grit, and it told me a lot about how much the coaching staff liked him. So he's going to start Saturday. You know, we thought Chipper Menard might get that start, but, you know, apparently in practice, Peyton Havert is just he's shoving. So this is, that, that's a pretty big development for me. And then you got Jeff Wilson, who's been the majority of his career, a two or three inning guy. We're going to see him on Sunday get, the, get the, the nod. You know, so these are guys that haven't had a lot of press and they're making an impact on the team already. Uh, there's probably still a lot to be talked about when it comes to those guys. You know, maybe, maybe the other guys that were slotted to maybe get those starts are not impressing like they should, or maybe they just got overtaken by the outings uh, in the scrimmages that these guys have had. I don't know. I, I think that, look, th- there's, some, there's some questions that need to be answered, yes, but if you're asking me strictly on intangibles, I like what we have. I think there's a similarity to the 2013 season. Um, you have a lot of talent. You have a lot of, of strong-willed players, grinders, hitters, um, and really, it, they, you know, we had to go through 2012 to set up for 2013 to show promise and then set up for 2014, which was – one of the best seasons in Cajun baseball history. So I see a lot of similarities to 2013 where you're going to find this team will find its identity. And when they do, and they click, they're going to be fun to watch. I also want to say that, look, you know, 2020 really doesn't count in my book because of the fact that the game, the season ended what 13 games in or 14 or what was it 16 games in or something like that. So really technically this is Matt Deggs' second full year. Um, he's only had one full season and he finished you know, some would consider a disappointing year last year. He still finished nine games above 500, which was probably our best season since 2017, I believe. So, you know, that just goes to show you his expectations. It goes to show you the expectations for, for us. You know, I also think that it, what, what's going to make a difference this year is the fact that a lot of these players, you know, this is year two of, of the Degs philosophy that you were talking about, Josh, which goes a long way. Um, I think more players are going to buy in. I think more players are going to sort of follow that lead, even though, look, some things, 
there were a lot of things that Tony Robichaud did that we all kind of knew. I mean, you know, whether it was his pitching rotation, the way he set up his lineup, Beggs is completely opposite. He's very different. You know, there's going to be a lot of things that we're going to have to get used to, or we're still trying to adjust to the way he coaches. And there's going to be things that the players are going to have to get get used to. But like you said, Matt Deggs does not lose. He just never, he never loses. So I trust his system. I trust his plan. And, um, you know, starting, starting tomorrow night, we'll see, we'll see if it comes to fruition. And Jerry, first of all, this is the best opening weekend from a, from an opponent standpoint, uh, you know, highly thought of since you Texas. Irvine's, is absolutely. I don't even think yeah. Texas, I think Texas was ranked in top 25. Yes. But I don't think they were 15 and 14. Uh, right. and I think their aggregates like 17 or 18. So this is going to be top notch competition right out of the gate. And mm-hmm. you, you know, like everybody else, anything can happen on opening uh, weekend. And I also want to say this, there have been times where we've had a few players get a lot of publicity over the last few seasons, you know, JT recruited a certain way and, he recruited some big name guys at these big name camps and we see how that worked out. And, you know, JT's no longer here. Matt was more intimately involved with recruiting this past cycle. Uh, we've got one guy that garnered SBC honors and it was Brandon Talley. He's the only guy. He's also probably one of the most senior guys on the team, super senior and one of the oldest guys on the team. There's a lot of guys on this team that have something to prove. Drew Shiflett, he is a, uh, a transfer from Texas. Did not get the shine he thought he deserves there. He's got an opportunity to do that here. You got Max Marshak, guy that highly thought of, went to Texas Tech, just kind of couldn't put it together. He's got something to prove. You've got other guys that have been here. Bobby Leday. We've seen flashes of brilliance out of Bobby. Never could really put it all together. I would say the same for CJ. I, there's a couple of, I would say the same for Brock. Uh, Julian Brock has been here for several, several years. We recruited him to hit. And so far, he really hasn't had the opportunity. Maybe he couldn't stay in the lineup, whatever the case may be. I think he's got something to prove. And now the job is his to be the catcher, the everyday catcher. He's going to handle our pitching staff. He's going to be a leader on the team. A lot is being asked of Julian Brock. There are a lot of guys on this squad that have something to prove. I like that from from, uh, the disposition of it all. They're going to go out there and they're going to have their opportunity to shine. It's not going to be guys that already got all the accolades and, and they're trying to live up to the billing. This is a whole new team with a whole new attitude. Uh, and I know we got to get into UC Irvine, Matt, I apologize for rambling, but I think that we need to really paint the true picture of this team. The potential is there. The attitude for me, certainly and the intangibles are certainly there just for being around them. Now they just got to get up. They got to lace them up, turn the lights on and let's roll the ball out there and go have some fun. That's where I'm at. So let's dive deep into the ant eaters, which can I just say, awesome mascot. Sick it, mascot. It's and an awesome mascot. Their social sites call them the eaters, which is, eaters. I mean, you could do so many things with that. The eaters. Now, all of this information that I'm getting is courtesy of D1 soft, D1 baseball, excuse me. So last season, the ant eaters went 43 and 18, uh, 32 and 8 in the Big West Conference. I've got a projected lineup from D1. Batting first would be Thomas McCaffrey, a sophomore who hit 356 last season. Uh, second would be Justin Torres, first base, hit 278 last year. Second base would be Woody Hayden, a sophomore who hit 294 last year. Connor McGuire hit 297. Tashi Nakawake. 
A fifth-year senior hit 261 last year. Luke Spillane, a left fielder who hit 306 last year. Now, their big guy is their center fielder, Nathan Church. He is a three-year sophomore. He hit 369 last year with six home runs and 61 RBIs. Um, they're saying Ben Fitzgerald is going to be in right. Obviously, with the Cajuns last year, he hit 293 with 12 home runs and 31 RBIs. And then their designated hitter is going to be Jacob Castro. Hit 314 last year. No home runs, but he did have 34 RBIs. Their starting pitcher tomorrow night is a fifth-year senior by the name of Michael Frier. He went 9-2 and two last year with a 3.36 ERA, 85 and two-thirds innings of work, 91 strikeouts, 24 walks. Um, this is a team that has a lot of hitting ability. They're great on defense. They have a decent bullpen. They have decent starting pitching. Their pitching is not their strong suit. Their, their offense is, is definitely their strong suit. You know, if, if you watch the Anteaters, they kind of have a unconventional style of baseball. Yeah, man, they play West Coast baseball, man. It's it's a little bit unorthodox, but it's fun to watch. I enjoy it for sure. Um, you know, you mentioned that their pitching is not necessarily their strong suit. Uh, I'll tell you what is their strong suit. They were a top 10 defensive team in the country last year, and they usually are. That's their brand of baseball. Uh, they also have their two best – or uh, the two top arms uh, – starting wise back and they have their top reliever. We're probably going to get Michael Frias to start Friday and Saturday, Sunday, who knows? Uh, but I can tell you this, man, they, they are a clutch hitting team. You mentioned their prowess on offense. They are a clutch hitting team. Just keep in mind before we get into the numbers, UC Irvine was one game away from Omaha last year. They went to the Stanford regional ran through that. Uh, and then, you know, stubbed their toe in the super, but, they are a perennial winner. They play out West Coast and West Coast. Uh, it's West Coast Conference or is West West Coast Athletic Conference? The Big I West. What it is. Big, Big West. West. You know, Long Beach State. Uh, there are several good programs. Cal State Fullerton. Programs. Yes, uh, another perennial winner. So these guys are battle tested every single year. Keep that in mind. They have Nathan Church, who's a preseason All America, coming back. Right. I mentioned they were a clutch hitting team. They hit three twenty three with runners on base last year. 353 with the bases loaded. I mean, that is unbelievable. They were 330 with runners in scoring position and 309 with two outs. 309. I think we hit 270 or 268 as a team last year. These guys hit 309 with runners, with with, with two outs with runners in scoring position. That's insane. Uh, This is the kind of thing that that makes you uh, a top 15 team going into the next season. And you mentioned Ben. We know what Ben can do. If he is healthy and playing in right field, you know, last year a lot of people don't realize how, how injured Ben was. Fitzgerald is a good player. He's a twitchy hitter. I think that he's going to do well for them, uh, especially they don't have a lot of lefties, uh, which was still surprising to me that we, we're going to go all right-handed pitching in our starting rotation this weekend. Uh, there's not many lefties in that lineup. Ben's one of them. He's going to provide some pop. It's going to be interesting to see how he responds being back in Lafayette. That, that'll be a, a nice little caveat. Uh, story to the weekend, the opening opening weekend, but it's a good team. They play good defense. They hit in the clutch. They hit with two outs, and they have their – I mean, look, seven of their top ten hitters are back. So this is not a new team. This is basically your your super regional team from last year. It's um, going to be fun this weekend regardless. Yep, for sure. So 6 o'clock tomorrow night from the Teague. Um, if for some reason you can't make it to the Teague, ESPN Plus will have all three games. This weekend, 
2 o'clock Saturday, and then 1 o'clock Sunday? Noon. Noon, on noon Sunday. Sunday. Okay, noon Sunday. So 6, 2, and noon this weekend. Um, and then Tuesday, we play we play Nichols? Northwestern. Southeastern. Southeastern. Okay. I, I was, it was going to be a state school. I knew it. Speaking of Sunday, uh, th- there might be a little raging review. Uh, hey, I didn't. I didn't want to say anything yet. I was going to ask you in the commercial break well, whether. W- I'll tell you this: I will be there enjoying beverages, whether I'll be drinking my sorrows away or celebratory drinking. One or the two are going to happen, but we may be joined by a pretty familiar name to kind of have some fun with the baseball team. So stay tuned on that. We're working on it. We don't. Really, I can't commit to it, but it's it's a. Big possibility. I'll put it that way. Regardless, Rage Interview will be recording live from Legends on Sunday. Also, Matt, you mentioned uh, everybody getting out to Russo Park. I just want to mention that the Young Rage and Cajuns Club policy has been changed. So they were going to give just select games to the kids. Uh, That has been changed to the way it used to be. It's now free for all. Bring your kids. (laughs) If they're 2 to 12, bring their kids. Bring your kids. Get them signed up for Young Raging Cajuns Club. They can go to all games, softball and baseball. And I want to say that's going to spill over into basketball as well. So um, no reason really not to go to the game. Bring the kitties. Yep, no no doubt about it. Transition to softball now. And I guess we can do it for baseball too. Um, for softball, it'll be a past tense thing. And then baseball, you can give a prediction. MVP of the weekend. I tell you what, I, I like seeing Rayne O'Neal's name back in the lineup. That's for sure. Yeah. Taylor. Definitely adds pop adds pop to the 56 runs we scored in that first six games. Taylor Roman. And Taylor Roman. Oh, my both God. Look, hey, look, losing both of them last year really put a oh, deal on our lineup. That killed our season. I mean, it that, killed our season. Yeah. Going into the season, even Coach Glasgow said it, you know, we have a young team. We've got a lot of youth. We've got freshmen playing. We've got younger younger girls who are stepping in as starters, especially on the, in the circle. And so when you have got, uh, players like Rain O'Neal or Taylor Roman that <laughs> they, they have their reputation as, yep. as power hitters, you know, to help for to sure. kind of compensate for the youth, it really builds up the youth. And, right. and the younger the younger batters. And, and you showed this weekend. Um, the, the main thing now I'm worried about is just stay healthy. If they can stay healthy now, this team can be very, 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 very dangerous. Because and, I've, one thing that I was most impressed with besides the hitting was the pitching. A lot of new faces in the circle. Look at what they did. They haven't given up a run yet, regardless of opponent. Regard, well, they've given, they've given up two runs to Nichols, but they didn't give up a run all weekend to some pretty stiff competition. I mean, look, North Texas beat us two years ago. UAB is not a slouch. No. I mean, I mean you, you, we, heard, you heard in my interview with Justin McLeod, he, he said that that opening weekend was going to be great competition for the Cajuns because, like you just said, North Texas is a good team. UAB is a good team. Tulsa has a good program. Like, these weren't slouches that we played. Wasn't UAB a regional team last year? Yeah. And uh, it's uh, Grimmyall that's coaching over there yeah. now? Uh, came from UL? Yeah. Okay, so th- that was a good team. I thought Tulsa was fine. They just got their doors blown off. Um, North Texas, they beat some – I don't know how many ranked teams they beat last year. Jerry, was it like three or four ranked teams? Those were a few. North Texas softball. I yeah, mean, they're a, a good program. They surprised um, some people. But, but yeah. think about this, man. Think think about the last time that the Cajuns had I mean, let's so you haven't seen a whole lot out of Sam Landry yet. 
but you know what she's capable of. And from what you saw in opening weekend, when was the last time you could say that the softball team had two aces? Go yeah. ahead, Jerry. Go ahead. Go, go. Well, I was going to say, I mean, how many, how many pitches did we throw the other day? I mean, this weekend, I mean, we threw what four. I, the last time I truly think that we had two aces was Alex Stewart's last year. When you had Alex Stewart and summer, you had a young yeah. summer and then Alex Stewart. You want to go to Oklahoma City. You want to win a national. You gotta have two pitchers. At you gotta least, have two. Minimum, minimum. Yeah, like, and then and, and then we're not even it. we're not even talking about Megan Shorman. That's pushing it. I mean, look, you look at Oklahoma and Alabama. They got three. Some of them. Have you've four. got you've you've got three. We have three, maybe four, quality starters this year. Lamb, Landry, Shorman, Carly Heath. When you need her, Foreman. Vanessa Foreman. Yeah, yeah I mean. It's, you, it's only going to get better. I, I think, look. Oh, Lord. Next next week, you have a really strong test in Alabama. You're going to have a tough little weekend series, the Mardi Gras Classic. The, but, the, the Mardi Gras Mambo. I mean, look, it's, it's. I mean, I, look, even even Jerry Glasgow thought we would drop a game. You know, he thought we were going to drop a game this weekend and look at look at what what happened, right? So they definitely they definitely played a lot better than what most people expected. I said, you know, uh, I, I remember telling you guys off the off the off the record, like I I thought they might stumble a little bit because of the youth, um, a lot of new starters, and <laughs> they look like a super regional team. Hey, this, hey, Jerry, this Jerry, just just a piece of advice, bud. Off the record, it's supposed yeah, to stay off the record. Well, it's back on the record, so there you go. Back, back on the record. But, but I mean, I predicted. I, I thought they would probably struggle a little bit oh, yeah. to get some runs. I, de- I definitely, what was it, five games in that opening weekend? I said if you, could, if you could win three out of five against those types of teams, that that would be a positive. Four out of five would be a success. Undefeated, I wouldn't be surprised just because of what we're capable of. But that would have been a huge accomplishment. Going undefeated and outscoring our opponents forty-six to nothing opening weekend is ridiculous. Yes, I, I said it. I, I said it this offseason, and I'll say it again now. I'll put it on the record: this team's going to Oklahoma City. Maybe I'm not going to sit up here and act like some softball savant. I I don't know much about the game. I, I watch the game because my daughter is interested. And of course it's good to have a program that wins. I'm not going to, but I'm not going to sit here and act like I know everything, but I will give you just a, a conscientious onlookers opinion. The girl that we faced that started for UAB is, is going to be more of the caliber of team or, or pitcher that we're going to see as we go into the season um, I thought that she was quality. Uh, you can tell our hitters reacted to her differently. And even though we only scored two runs against her, we crushed the ball. Uh, they had, they made some great plays in the field. Um, I thought she did well to keep us off the board more than, uh, the, you know, as much as she did. I thought the offense looked just as dangerous as they get. They did when they scored 17 runs in four innings um, against who was that North Texas? I forget exactly. Uh, Tulsa, maybe I, I got to go to the Nichols game on Tuesday and watch Sam Landry, the number four recruit in the country. Let me tell you guys, again, I'm not a softball pitching savant. She has some ways to go from, from my view, but these are the things that I can tell in any type of competitive environment. 
She didn't get frazzled when they had runners on base. She didn't get frazzled when the count was not in her favor or when the count was full. She didn't get frazzled when she was down 3-0. She attacked hitters. She wasn't a she wasn't scared to throw strikes. She didn't nibble around the plate. She's got some heat. I think she was touching 68 and 69 at times. She's got one hell of a changeup that made people look very stupid. And Nichols can score. I mean, they are not a bad offensive club. I could tell the third base coach, I, I assume is their head coach, he was frustrated. And also, I, I think that Sam caught them off guard. But she turned in five solid innings and, and really made a decent team look pretty bad at times. I know she gave up a couple of runs, and that's fine. She's a freshman. Yeah, I mean, that's going to happen. She's given I – mean, look, she's got, what, maybe 13 innings under her belt? I didn't get to see her against – I'll tell you. Uh, I didn't get to see her pitch on the weekend. But if she looked anything like she looked on Tuesday, I mean, you got something legit, and, and people are saying she has a year or two to develop. Hell, she looks like she could be a, a weapon this year. I mean, you're talking about – you want to talk about going into the, the postseason with some confidence in your pitchers? Kendra Lamb added seven miles per hour consistently to her fastball, and she's got some junk she can throw. You got Shorman, like you guys mentioned. She, from the little bit that I've seen of her, she looks like a, a number one in any other program. I think – on paper and from the small sample sizes that we've gotten, I mean, this might be Jerry Glasgow's best team, especially if they can stay healthy, to your point, Jerry. And Rayna O'Neill looks exactly like – let me tell you something. Sophie Piscos is hitting like oh, a million. Sophie's, Sophie's she looks phenomenal. Like all-American talent, and she's – I mean, I always watch the catcher. She's a confident a general back there, and, and it's fun to watch. They are a well-oiled machine. I still – the only negative that I'll say about the team, I still think we take – some chances on the base paths that I, I don't really understand. Again, that might be a softball thing. It doesn't necessarily translate from baseball, uh, but I, I don't understand stealing second to third with nobody out. Um, there was a play, a close play in the third inning on Tuesday that our runner should have been out. And I thought she was out. And I looked at Jerry Glasgow and he wasn't even, he wasn't even phased by that. That was surprising to me, but again, that might be just difference in softball and baseball. The softball team looks really good. All right, so Sam Landry, she's 3-0 on the year. She started two games, uh, has an ERA of .66, has pitched 10 and two-thirds, four hits, one run, one earned, four walks, 18 Ks. Batter's average against her, 111. That's almost two Ks an inning, dude, for a freshman. Kendra Lamb, 2-0. 10 innings pitched, four hits, no runs, two walks, 18 Ks. Megan Shorman, 1-0, 11 innings pitched, 2 hits, no runs, 17 Ks. A team ERA of .40, a batting a- opponent's batting average is 119. Gaudy. 56 strikeouts between the pitching staff. You know, you got to give some credit to the, the girls, number one, but you got to also think about Judd. You know, oh. Judd is first year on the job. Uh off yeah. to a good start. Great, great start. Off to a great start. Um, but you did ask about MVPs this weekend. Who do we think? I know the girls are off, and they're going to play. Uh, who do they play next weekend in the tournament? So you've got they've got Alabama coming to Lamson Park on Thursday night, and then the Mambo tournament at Youngsville Sports Complex is they will play Eastern Illinois, St. Thomas, Portland State, Limpscomb, and Alabama again. Okay, so I'm, I'll go first. I'll pick my MVPs. Give me Kendra Lamb MVP of the girls' tournament, the Mambo tournament. A name that we haven't really 
gotten into who I absolutely love this kid. His name is Connor Higgs. Oof. Connor Higgs is my MVP for opening weekend. You heard it here first. My softball MVP from this past weekend, and I'll go ahead and say it for, for the Mardi Gras Mambo tournament as well, Matty Hayden. Yes, Taylor Roman was Sunbelt Player of the Week. She was a freak this weekend. I mean, three triples, eight RBIs. I mean, that's a phenomenal start to the season. However, Matty Hayden walked the game off twice, um, made great contact with the ball, all weekend long. Um, let me see. What was her what was her batting average? She's batting four fifty-five to start the season. I mean, absolutely just ridiculous numbers. Let's see, where's where's Taylor Roman batting? I'd like to see that. Four sixty two. Um just, seriously, Piscos is hitting like eight hundred. Five hundred. Okay, so she she got a couple of outs on Tuesday. Alexa Langlanier, five twenty nine, and Stormy Kotzelnik. Did I say that last name right? I probably didn't. 571. Absolutely insane numbers. Um, Baseball, my MVP this weekend. Uh, I'm going to have to say Kyle DeBarge. I think think he is going to... Safe pick. Love it. I love it. I, I I think he is going to be that kid that... You know, embraces the situation that he's been put in, and he's gonna go out and absolutely rake this weekend. And yeah, I think he's a difference maker. Um. So what we're giving MVP for baseball this weekend? I already gave mine for uh, softball last weekend. Um. I think I said Rain O'Neill. It's nice to have her back as well as Taylor Roman. I, I got to get both of them because there's there are power hitters. And it's good to have that that power back in the lineup, especially with, um, like I said, the younger, newer starters. But um, baseball, um, his time has finally arrived. I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give this kid a shot to prove himself behind the plate. He's got some big shoes to fill behind Ozzy. Got to show love for Julian Brock. Um, I love you know, it. I love it, guys. Give the catcher some love, baby. Well, I got to give him love because look, he's he's put his time in. He's waited. You know, he's waited. He's had his ups and downs. Um, I think from what we've heard all off season, even, even uh, Matt Deggs had said it, you know, he wait, he, he bit his time and, and, and he's improved a lot. He, he's worked hard uh, in the fall. So this is his time to shine. Um, and we're going to need him behind the plate when you're playing uh, a team that is the king of the timely hit. Um, this is where the catcher needs to step up. Josh, you know about this. I think he's going to step up behind the plate, and I also think he's going to step up batting. I think his bat is is due for for some some good hits as well. So I'm going to give some love to the catcher. I'm going to give love to Julian Brock, and hopefully he can come out and and prove to people that uh, he he waited a little too long for his opportunity. I'm looking forward to see what he can do this weekend. You know, Jerry, there's a thing. There are people out there that don't believe that momentum is a real thing. Uh, Stevie, Stevie P says that, and I I couldn't, I mean, it's such a ridiculous, that guy has never played a competitive sport in his life. If he doesn't think that, and this is, this is something that's in the same vein when you're playing good defense and you're flashing good leather and you're, you're contributing in some way to the team, it absolutely rolls over into your offensive production. There's just, nobody can change that. When I played, 
Absolutely. If I was playing bad defense or I'm out there in the field making errors or, or costing my team runs, it stays with you at the plate for most players. I'm telling you, I think that because Julian knows it's his team and it's his position, I think it's going to help him at the plate. I really believe that. Quick story. I was sitting at fall ball talking to Jay and I, we were talking about the catcher position. And at the time there were like four or five catchers that were vying for the, the position. Now we know that a couple of guys have moved on since then. And we've added Garrett uh, from Kansas state, but at the time Julian hadn't quite won the position, but he looked like to be the odds on favorite. And I just looked at him and I said, Jay, you know, we don't need him to go out there and hit 330, 15 bombs and 70 RBI. What we need is we need Nick Thurman. We need Nick Thurman, probably the most underappreciated player in Cajun's history. Nick Thurman was ideal for what we need him. We need him to hit 265, 270, few bombs, show some power down at the end of the lineup, be clutch from time to time, and just handle the pitching staff. You know, play a good backstop. Make sure that that the defense is set. Do all the things that a good catcher does. That's what we need. That's what's going to make this team particularly good. And he looked over at me and he said, you know what Deg said? He said, we need him to be Nick Thurman. So there's a prevailing, you know, wisdom out there that thinks, look, we, Deggs knows what we need behind the plate. I think the fans that have been following the program for a long time know what the recipe for success is behind the plate. And if Julian can just do that, and I know, you know, just do that, it sounds like it's easy. It's certainly not. But I think the hits will come for him. But I want to see him handle the pitching staff and play great defense. Hit is, you know, hitting is extra for me. Just go out there and handle, handle the defense. Well, you know, and also, too, to add to you talk about momentum, momentum is mental. It's strictly mental. And and with this type of process, with this type of strategy, with this type of scheme, with this type of philosophy Deggs likes to run with, a lot of it is mental and it's mental toughness. So really one thing you see and you saw it in 2014, momentum goes a long way, even when it's when the game is on the line. Um, I look at a game like we played Alabama that Friday night in 14. Um, I'm drawing a blank now, but who was pitching for Alabama? He's a major league guy now. Um, who was it? They had two of them. I don't remember who who was the Friday night guy. Uh, but I mean, but, it was but, it was it was a duel, and I mean, we couldn't get a hit. They couldn't get a hit, and we got lucky enough to get on base. Well, then we called a double squeeze. The 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 famous you the famous Cajun double squeeze, and that momentum right there did it in. That did it in right there. You know, one hit is all it took to get that momentum going. And we pulled the double squeeze on them, killed their momentum and won the game, won the series. I think that's really the, the, the momentum. We're going to have to see something like that similar this weekend against Irvine. But I think that momentum does mean a lot. I think that's why uh, you brought up, brought it up with Julian Brock. Look, he's the general of the field. He's the general of the field. He's look, he's a veteran. This is what third year here, fourth year here or third year here. So he knows the system. So it's his time again. I'm picking him as my MVP because it's 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 Julian's time to shine, man. It's Julian's time to shine. He's waited his turn. It's his time to shine. I love that pick, JB. I've always been a fan of JB. Um, and like you said, it's his it's his time to shine. I'm all for it. I'm all about it. It's. I think we need to we need to make that a weekly deal. Uh, projected MVP? MVPs for yeah. the weekend. Yeah, that's that's fun. I'm I'm about it. I'm ready for baseball. It's it's time for baseball. However, we're done talking about baseball. We're going to take a break here on Rage and Review, and when we come back, it's going to get hated up in here.
Chris Russo of Russo Exploration encourages you to donate to the Raging Cajun Athletic Foundation. The RCAF, the official fundraising arm of Louisiana Athletics, supports over 400 student-athletes across 16 NCAA sports. You can invest in the RCAF today for as little as $5 a month. Just go to myrcaf.org to get started or call 337-851-RCAF. As always, donations to the RCAF are tax-deductible. Your investment today will enrich the lives of every athlete that puts on the vermilion and white. Go Cajuns! Welcome back to Raging Review. Matt Miguez, Jerry Bear, Man About Town, Josh Jogno. Don't know if you can catch what we're doing, but we're we're playing some happy music. Get people in the right mindset before we drop the hammer. Before we get into basketball, let's quickly discuss the dilemma from Conference USA. Marshall, Southern Miss, Old Dominion. Announced last week their intention to leave Cusa on July third on June thirtieth of twenty twenty two. No mention of joining the Sun Belt at that time, just stating their intentions to leave the conference. Well, earlier this week, the Conference USA football schedule comes out, including those three teams, followed by a statement from the lovely, just absolutely lovely Conference USA commissioner. I don't even, Judy. We call her Judy. Uh, I couldn't even tell you what her name is. That's how irrelevant she is. Uh, That's how irrelevant Conference USA is, really and truly. Um, This is the statement from the board of directors. Conference USA intends to conduct the 2022-2023 athletic year with a full 14 institution membership intact. The CUSA Board of Directors will exhaust all necessary legal actions to ensure all members meet their contractual obligations as defined by and agreed to in the Conference USA bylaws. What a crock of crap. It's just not understandable. Uh, Jerry has a really good spiel on this, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna steal his thunder. But there's no there is nothing that's gonna hold nothing. These the Sun Belt three in Cusa. It's nothing. you know what's so funny to me is that when when Oklahoma and Texas stun the college sports landscape and say, oh, you know what, Big Twelve, actually we're going to the SEC and there's nothing you can do about it. It's, it's called just business, right? They, oh, well, it's just business. It's just business. Well, but when it happens in CUSA, it's, oh, it's a, it's an uproar. I mean, how could they be leaving? How well, you know, to CUSA? The, the best explanation that, that I saw on social media, and I don't remember who posted it, but somebody said the, the perfect analogy for this is you break up with, with one girl to go be with another, right? But your ex won't let you date the other girl until 
whatever processes of your breakup are complete. I'll, I'll give you a better one. Like what? And that's why I put, I'll, I'll put the analogy. I'll put the analogy. I'll put the analogy on our Twitter page the other day. It's like the Jerry Springer show when you already left your ex-girlfriend. You're on the show, right? You're on the stage. You've already left your ex-girlfriend and you're with your new gal and you're sitting next to her on the chair. And then the ex-girl, basically you move the chair over to the other side of the stage with your new, with your new gal. And then the ex-girlfriend comes in as a guest, picks up her chair and comes, tries to sit next Throws to you, even though you've stage. left her already. That's kind of what Cusa is doing <laughs> with, with, with all of this. And, and look, what's, what's one year. If, if, if the Sunbelt three want to leave, just let them go. What? Okay. So right. Stay but that, that, that's, that's what? the big, that's the biggest thing. Like They're why, anyway. why are you sitting here making it a lengthy, messy, unnecessary process? When you could just say, okay, you know, thanks for your time. One word, defiance. They're being defiant. And, and the reality of the situation is, so what if they leave? You know, they talk about these bylaws. From, I believe Brett McMurphy tweeted something out last week that there's no rules. None. For what was it? That, but um, that, that, that's the thing. In the end, Kusa's going to spend millions of dollars. On legal fees. In legal fees. To get nowhere, but Jerry, to prove a to prove a point, they're, like, the they're, but they're not even going to prove the point because there's Marshall, Southern Miss, and Old Dominion are still going to be in the Sun Belt come leaving. September. They're but leaving. The, the bylaws don't they don't detail rules, but there's also no precedent for a conference forcing members institutions to stay. So they can't claim they can't claim um, precedent. They can't claim anything in the contract and. What is this all going to end up? It's going to end up in court, and it's going to cost them a bunch of money. For what? 14 more months of membership from schools that don't want to be there? doesn't make think- sense. This was, this was a decision made out of emotion, not out of sound business practice. What makes it more ironic is the fact that, you know, this is the same conference that basically raided our conference 10 years ago. It took, like, what, six or seven of our teams? And now we're giving them a taste of their own medicine, and they're pulling this stunt on us? Like, why won't you, how about, look, we can't help the fact that you you made, number one, you made a terrible TV deal, which is why, I mean, even the schools now, I, I feel bad I, outside of, look, outside of tech, which, you know, I'm kind of laughing at them because, you know, their arrogance caught up with them once again. But you look at Western Kentucky, you look at middle, those, both of those schools, their fans wanted to get out. And now they're not only stuck, but they have to be, in, they get caught in the middle of all this foolishness and have to be, unfortunately, tied and tied up with this it's almost like guilt by association like they're stuck i mean if that were us in a situation like this and the sunbelt pulled a stunt like this and we were stuck i'd be embarrassed as a fan to be part of this conference i'd be you know saying publicly we need to get out and and run as fast as we can well with I, all of I, this. another another big thing about it is that this is one of my favorite things and you mentioned tech thing <laughs> i love watching them get their asses handed to them it's spectacular but you know Kusa wants to cry, uh, cry foul here, but every single one of the SBC three reached out to Judy and the office multiple times to try to sit down and mediate some sort of an agreement. Maybe they leave early. Maybe there's some sort of compensation uh, transfer, whatever the case may be. When a coach leaves a school, they're also in breach of contract. How do they fix that problem? They have a buyout or they have some sort of uh, a financial settlement. 
the CUSA office was not even willing to sit down with any of the member institutions and negotiate. Now, they're not compelled to do so, but isn't that good business? That, that, should have, that should have been the very first thing that they did. And, you know, one of our close friends that we've interviewed on the show is on record for saying that Judy did not sign up for this. She, out of her own mouth, has said that she was not interested in trying to put a conference back together. She was trying to maintain the status quo. Well, that kind of tells me that the person that we got that from was very accurate because she is in over her head. And, and look, I'm sorry to take a shot, but she's in overhead. She doesn't know what the hell she's doing. This was something that came across her desk unexpectedly. Either her or somebody within the leadership said, oh, no, no, we're going to play the schedule. We're going to release the schedule. And they did it. I don't think that there was any planning. There was any foresight in any of this stuff. This There is nothing CUSA can do outside of taking it to court and making a public, you know, crybaby uh, issue out of this whole thing. There's nothing that CUSA can do to keep the members playing sports in the conference. They, there's nothing they can do. Well, it's not going to help with their public opinion because most people, you know, I saw a meme the other day and it summed it up. And it's ironic that all four schools that are trying to come to our conference are having trouble, you know, going through the, the red tape. I mean, James Madison just went through it with the Colonial Athletic Conference. And what's funny is that, you know, we were crying foul on, on the CAA for not allowing JMU to um, – to compete for postseason uh, championships, which I think was part of the contract or part of their deal. There's a little, it's a little different there, but what's funny is that that's, that's peanuts compared to this. Like there was a meme talking about JMU and the CAA ordeal and somebody put CUSA hold my beer. I mean, that's exactly what it is. It's so much more dramatic, so much worse in this particular case, because at least with the CAA, there, I think there was a certain agreement or there was some type of deal sign where, look, if you leave a certain time, you can't compete for championships. But you know what else the CAA did? They actually said, hey, you know what? If you don't want to be here, leave. We relinquish your membership. Go. Like, and, and, and JMU did something and the NCAA allowed something that doesn't happen often. They gave them a year in advance to come to the Sun Belt and let them compete in the Sun Belt. So the CAA, even though, you know, they, they got, you know, they kind of, they got their panties in a wad a little bit earlier, but they still respected and honored JMZ's wish to say, look, thank you, but we're ready to go. They let him go. Cuse is doing the complete opposite. They're going to spend all this money on a court case and we're going to go to court and we're going to do all this and that. And, and for what? To, like you said, to stay in the conference for maybe a year later, these schools are yeah. leaving anyway. The fans are ready to leave. The administrations are ready to leave. The, the, the entire university is ready to leave. All three of them the, are ready to go. The, Just let them go. The biggest thing, know. the biggest thing is this conference USA, and this is the last thing I'm going to say about it because we, we really need to get into the basketball program, and also we have a, a full length episode coming on this topic, so let's not, you know, spoil the conversation too much. Conference USA has a has no grant of rights agreement with their member institutions. The Big Twelve did with Texas and Oklahoma. That's why it cost Texas and Oklahoma so much money to leave when they did or to announce that, that they were leaving when they were. That's why it's going to cost them so much. Conference USA has no document keeping these three schools in Conference USA any longer. And Yes, and it's, it's another example of how shitty of a conference and how terrible of a leadership they have. Sorry, baby Allie, I said I wasn't going to say the S word. I, I'll edit that out. Uh, no, but... <laughs> 
No, seriously. Seriously. Let me give you this one thing. What is the best thing that can happen out of this? Say Kusa and Judy get their way. You force USM, Marshall, and um, ODU to stay in the conference one more year. Literally, every time those programs are on national TV, which is not very often, I'll be honest with that, but any time that your conference comes up for any way, it's overshadowed by this SBC thing. They're going to talk about it. Journals are going to write about it. The broadcasters are going to talk about it. So even if you get what you want and you get your vengeance and your spite, it's going to be a net negative on your conference. Also, it's going to be a net negative in your wallet because it's going to cost you money to go to court to win. It just doesn't make sense. Not to mention, like Matt said, your public your public image is taking a major hit. So even if you come out on top and you get what you want and you get the verdict in court that you're looking for, it's not good for your damn conference. It's just so stupid altogether. And you mentioned the conference, uh, you mentioned the CAA. I don't know how the CAA does their postseason uh, host situation, but in CUSA, I think another thing that pisses them off is that Southern Miss is supposed to, they're going to host, <laughs> they're hosting host the baseball tournament this year. Tournament. So, yeah. so, you know, I mean like, yeah, I would be super pissed if my host site for the baseball tournament is like, you know what, see you guys, we're going to the Sun Belt. So I think it's a, a little bit of added fuel for the fire. Well, that's why, hey, that's why it's not their problem. It's not their problem. You should have listen when they signed the contract to be in your, the bylaws to be in your conference, you should have not handed them a shitty TV deal. You should have not handed them a bad, a bad uh, a product, a terrible conference that's just falling apart every day. That I mean, there's they have some liability in why these schools are leaving in the first place. So well, <laughs> tell me what lawyer is not going to bring that up in court? Well, well, Matt, Matt is um, Matt. Matt brought up a good point about the smoke. I mean, it's a smoking gun and the fact that uh, they have no. The, the league does not have a grant of rights agreement. Actually, no, I take that back. There is no smoking gun because it doesn't exist. The, the grant of rights agreement doesn't exist. So, but that's the main clue. That's the red flag right there. No grant of rights agreement to, to do what you want or leave. So, <laughs> I mean, they don't even have that written up. I mean, what does that tell you? So, no, it is what it is. Like I said, we'll have a full-length episode on the CUSA conversation. Um, we've got some great guests lined up to, to dive deep into, into that topic. Let's get into what we all want to talk about, and that is Raging Cajuns men's basketball. You know, this has not been the year that the, the, the Cajuns have hoped for, um, for for obvious, obvious reasons. Um, Putting it mildly. We're ninth in the conference currently out of 12. Beautiful. Uh, what's our record? Nine and 12? Ten and 13. Ten and 13. Okay. Awesome. I, I love our programs. I do. I love every single one of them. It would be one thing if you had this kind of schedule, this kind of struggle in a good basketball conference. But this is not a good basketball conference. It's not just a single institution. In the top 100 of RPI in the country, not a single basketball playing institution, not one. And we're in the bottom 100, one, what is it, 177 or something, Jerry? Yeah, it's bad. Uh, like, no, lower than that. I think we're like 180 something or 190 something, I believe. And then that was ranking. like last I can week. Look it up. Yeah. I mean, it's, I can look it up right now, but it's bad. Listen to this. I have only have four team statistics pulled up, but I feel like they just paint a glaring picture of this season. The first one that I'm going to talk about is assist-to-turnover ratio. So, in layman's terms, how many assists 
compared to how many turnovers, right? Okay. 350 teams in America. Can anybody guess where we sit? 351. There's 350 teams, Josh. That's the joke, Matt. I, I know. I know. I know. I caught it. We are 325th in America. We have 294 assists on the year and 379 turnovers. 85 more turnovers than assist. Oh, by the way, um, yeah, I did look up the net ranking. Where, uh, yeah, Josh, we were being generous. We said 170s, 180s. Uh, try uh, 206. Good. 206. Hell. Yikes. And that's playing in a bad league, folks. Yeah. It, it's, it's, oh, God. Okay. So I'm gonna look up the conference RPI uh, where we rank because it's been in the bottom third for like a decade. Next is free throw percentage. Once again, 350 teams in America. Where do you think we sit? Uh, probably 275-ish, I'd say. Josh? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say high 200s. 266. Shooting 68% as a team. Which, in the grand scheme, that's not terrible as a team. You you, you would like to be in the 70s for, for a free throw percentage as a team, but, I mean, two, 68 is, is not far off. That's not bad. But just being 266th in the nation is bad. The number one shooting free throw team in the country is Villanova. They are 82.5% as a team from the line. Wow, that's really good. Turnover margin. 310. We've we have forced 328 turnovers and we have turned the ball over 379 times. So. And it's 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 the way we're turning the ball over too. I mean, oh, 100%. We just, we just have bad dribbles up. We 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 we're, we're dribbling the ball up court and we fumble the dribble or botch the dribble and get stolen, you know, for a fast break. 100%. Um, and losing I mean, just, losing games on that. I mean, that's we've, nice we've lost school. multiple games in the last couple weeks on plays we like that. We lost the Arlington game like that. We lost the Georgia Southern game like that mm-hmm. just because we can't dribble. And lastly, 195 nationally in scoring offense. So I looked up the stat for uh, conference, um, strength, uh, conference strength, uh, Josh. Out of 32 conferences, the Sun Belt sits at 16th, which is actually one of their higher ranks in a while. Yeah, I was just looking at that. Uh, it is surprisingly higher than I it's thought. Not still, bad. It's still the definition of mediocre, which is something we've been arguing for, I don't know, a decade. Uh, <laughs> but 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 seriously, I mean, we're, that, we're, we're 204. What was it, 204, 207? 206. 206 in, in this conference. You know, yeah. Last year they finished 18, which was better than the year before that, which I think was 21. So I guess driving home the point is that the league – isn't any good. It's not. It's, it's not, awful. It's not good. It's awful. We're we're in big trouble and in in my personal opinion it it's 100% time for a change. Listen, um, Matt, I don't want to hear your outside noise. I, I don't hear it. Speaking, I don't I don't listen to the outside noise. Speaking of outside noise, courtesy of our guy Jamarcus Fitzpatrick over at KTC TV3. Take a listen to head coach Bob Marlin. Coach obviously has the season goes on, up and down, wins and losses. Uh, fans begin to talk and say things. Um, just how do you block out the noise of them saying things like, 
making a change in the coaching staff or anything like that? How do you kind of block that noise out? I, I can't control that. You know, I don't worry about it. I, don't, I haven't heard any noise. One assistant said something one time, but I, I don't, you know, uh, I know what our guys do every day in practice. I know what we've done. I think we've done a really good job with this team. And there's there's a couple of reasons why we're struggling. And I think it's obvious. But, uh, you know, people can point the finger and say anything they want. And I'm the coach of this team. I'm responsible. Uh, and uh, we haven't been getting it done. Well, that's putting it mildly. No, hold on a second. Did he say they think they've done a great job with this team? And then he said they know the reasons why we're struggling. Care to share them? Hmm. Well, here, here's my thing. Not, not necessarily share them. But my thing is this. If you know the issues, and if you're stating that, you've known the issues for quite some time now. Why aren't they getting fixed? Well, based on the stats that you just read, uh, dribbling, shooting, defending, like all, all an issue. And look, I know we're being a little bit, you know, I know we're being a little bit, uh, having a little fun here, but 10 and 13 with this roster after the propaganda it's machine bad. told us it's this bad. was the most talented team in history, maybe since uh, the Leitner uh, Dukies. This is this is the best team. This is most roster, the t- most talented roster in college b- basketball history. Hey, That's hey, the propaganda mill. You forgot. You forgot. Preseason mid major rank number eighteen, in the top twenty five <laughs> mid major poll. Okay. I wonder. I wonder how far down that poll goes. Is it like are we ranked like one ninety now? I mean, is it? Are we still on it? Did we fall off? I think we, I think we <laughs> fell off by now. Yeah. Look, I'm, but but here's the thing. You know, Coach Marlin in that quote said exactly what we've been hearing for the past five years. It's the same thing every year. Well, we know what's going on. We know why. We know, we know, we know. Why why are we still finishing? Why are we in ninth place? <laughs> why do why, why we do not, we still suck? Why have we not been in the top three of the conference since 2018? Why I mean, you can only take injuries so far. You can only take the injury excuse so far. Even I mean, look, even we, when we were injured, we weren't we weren't a good basketball team, but there's 350 teams in America. Are we the only team out of 350 that have injury problems? Like seriously, there's teams in the top 25 right now that have injury problems. And, and you know, to the East, I'll even, I'm even throw this out there and I might upset some people. The school to the East of us has more injury problems than us. And they're sitting in the top 30 right now. So what, what is it? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I know it's a hot take. I shouldn't have said it, but I'm going to say it. No, I mean, it's true. Have, have you have you sat there? Excuse. Have you sat there and watched LSU play basketball? Oh, my gosh. One guy out of, other out than, of 15. Other than, other than that losing skid that they went on a couple weeks ago. I, 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 it's going to hurt me to say this. They're a good basketball team. Well, well I, I, I have to say this disclaimer. Coached by known cheater. Will well, okay, I mean, hundred percent agree. However, but, cheater or no cheater, Will Wade knows basketball. Here's the common denominator, and here's the thing that we're missing. There has to be a level of coaching staff, player, respect, and chemistry. You guys might think differently. Other people might think differently. From my perspective, I don't see either one. 
Well, I think I'll say this. Look, I you want to talk about what's, oh, well, this, the injuries plaguing the team or what this guy was out, that guy was out. Brock Morris took a COVID-depleted team to App State and Coastal. And he's, and he's undefeated. Road. And he's and undefeated. Remember, we've heard. It's hard to win on the road in the Sun Belt. Remember, it's impossible. It's impossible to win on the road in the Sun Belt. Took a, a COVID-depleted team to App State, who is, by the way, number one in the conference yeah. right now. Went to their house one by 16, I believe it was. And then went to Coastal, a team that beat South Carolina by 25 just a few weeks before. And won over there with a depleted roster. Since then, we've gone, what, two, uh, I want to say, what, maybe let's see, one, five, and, five and nine, five two, and ten or something like that since then? or uh, Three. A, three and eight. Three and eight since that road trip. So, and, and, and most of those losses coming at home. Oh, yeah. The team's ranked lower than us in conference. Oh, oh yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Oh, yeah. Sure. 14 Arlington team beat us the other day. Both Georgia schools are ranked lower than us, but it's so hard to win. It's so hard to win on the road in the Sun Belt, but yet they come to the Cajun Dome, which this is, is supposed to be, quote-unquote, the nicest gym in the conference, and beat us beat us on our home court. This so, is when you're, the... When, when, you're, when you're the standard, you get everybody's best shot. This is the wow. weakest Sun Belt in five years. This and is the have, weakest Sun Belt conference in basketball in five years, and we're ninth out of twelve. Well, like that's saying something. And we have the highest paid coach in the conference, and we have the nicest facilities. <laughs> uh, well, Josh, Josh, it doesn't, enjoyed, it doesn't uh, make sense, man. It doesn't you know make what? sense. There's, and I know, I know. I'm, I'm sure you guys are about to rib me in the next thirty seconds for me saying, "Well, it's early. It's early." I get well, dude, it, but you're you're the you're the optimist of the group, and that's nothing. You're a fan. There's nothing wrong with that. And we, oh, you know, I'm I, over it, dude. Enough, we've given you enough hard times about that. And and look, you've you know you 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 op- you, you woke up right after because we we lost some disappointing games. Getting right? hot and bothered over here, man. But but look look, it was crazy. And look, I'm not gonna bash any fan. I'm not gonna criticize how fans pull for our teams. But let's be honest. I mean, we took a poll on Twitter last week that lasted about four or five days, had almost 300 votes. 86% said there was time for a change. Cause it is because it 86%. is. There was, I think one or two people voted yes or no, it's not time for a change. And they were from other Dude, teams. They were here's from other schools. Here's the, who voted. We know who voted. No, her name here's, is Connie. Here's the beautiful thing about college basketball. Like you said, there's 350 division one programs that doesn't even take into effect. Division two, division three, FCS. I mean, um, NAIA. Where, 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 where are we? Oh, and one against division two? Or no, they're Southland. No, no, they're uh, HBCU. They're HBCU. Yeah, they're yeah, they're what D1. Do they play in? Um, swack, swack, swack. That's what I was trying to remember. Yeah. So let let's let's say this: three hundred fifty division one programs, four coaches per program, head coach and three assistants. There is always a young assistant waiting for his head coaching opportunity. That's the beautiful thing about college basketball. It's it's it can never be a conversation of oh who are we going to hire? Oh who who who's even going to come here? You can't say this job's not attractive. That argument makes me laugh. Who are going to get to replace? I'm like regardless regardless of how bad we've been, you can't say this job is not attractive. We have, no, but I'm glad you mentioned the young coaches because if you look at the coaches, the head coaches in this league that are winning, the top five or six are yep. all under 40. Yep. All of yeah. them. Yep. 
And I think yeah. Bob might be the oldest he outside is. of Coastal's coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who's I think 76. Yeah. Um, but, but no, I mean, it's time. Look, look, first of all, I want to give a big shout out to Jamarcus for doing his job. And that sounds like a foregone conclusion, but for too damn long in this market, the sports media do nothing. They don't ask questions. They don't ask tough questions. You know, I turned on KATC the other day and there's a big is Bob on the hot seat graphic. I've never seen that in 11 years. Well, this is year 12. It's 12. In 12 years, you've never seen that. It's it's too it's been too long. Well, because well, let's let's be let's situation. be honest. Let's be honest. Bob wasn't on the hot seat until about three years ago. Well, he should have been though. He should look there there. Yes, he won in 17 or what is it, 17, 18. Yes, he won. Yes, we won a league title. Okay, great. What did we do before that? We were mediocre. We were mediocre outside of Alfred Payton and Sean Long. We weren't mediocre. We were the definition of mediocre. Mm, Jerry, look at I, I disagree. We our average I, I wins disagree. are 17, those, 17 or 18 a, a season, two and Q in the tournament. Th- those teams, those teams when we had Jay Wright and Casey Shepard, those those were some good teams. How many sh- conference championships do we have? Zero. Okay, that's well, that's the mediocre. We play in a mediocre league. Okay, we have I mean, a mediocre team, and we won mediocre amount of games. We are the absolute. But you best can't. Definition. But that's but that's but that's the issue. You can't expect. You can't define a good team by whether you win the conference or not. That can't be the benchmark every single season. We didn't even get to the conference final. We two and I mean, two. I'm I, I don't disagree. However, they weren't mediocre. They were good teams. It just didn't I get disagree. the job if done. You playing a bad league? Are you playing a bad league? A mediocre league? And you can't even get through the tournament or win more than one game in the tournament. You're not a good team. I, but I, then, I just, but then also, let, let's let's be totally real. From 14 to 18, the Sun Belt wasn't a mediocre league. Mm, it absolutely was. Outside of Georgia, outside of Georgia State, was. I disagree. I, look, there was average. I mean, Little Rock made the place. Sweet 16 in 2016. Well, they that had was that one, one team year. one year, but. But even then, we never finished, and I think we finished in the top. Georgia State beat Baylor in fifteen in the tournament. Okay, to your right. point, they came, they came to our gym and whooped our ass. But but the we, point we, is though, even we got though, blown out in the tournament by them, both of those. But teams. even though the Sun Belt had one, like they always had the one good team. At the same time, we always finished like fourth or fifth. We never really were in the contention of being in the top two or three, except for maybe one year in between. Agree to agree to disagree. So allude to, Josh, to it, allude to Josh's point, I think that's where Josh is coming from. Like, even though we had some good teams in those conferences, we never were really in contention yes. per se because we were always in like fourth or fifth place. The company you keep has a lot to do with the perception of who you are. That's what I'm saying. But I'll say this, okay? If you want to argue that Bob elevated the program from where we were basically on probation for APR issues under Robert Lee, I can't argue that. We had some nice years. We won a, we won a conference title one year and we went to the dance another year. Two in 12 years, I mean... That's not my standard. They call themselves a standard. I don't believe that that's a standard, but it's it's two nice moments for the program. So you can't take that away from Bob. If you want to say that it's time for a change, I don't think that anybody can argue with you at this point. I mean, the the dome is empty, guys. I've been to two games this year. I went to two games last year. I went to two games the year before that. We're the most diehard fans that we have at this school. I mean, for God's sake, we take our free time and make a podcast about the teams. We go, I go to two games a year. In those two games, I could count the fans. This 2,500 that we report is a joke. 
You want to? I well, always talk about the propaganda mill. The propaganda mill is strong with the attendance numbers, buddy. Well, we we should we shouldn't be we shouldn't be playing in the Cajun Dome anyway. Oh look, that's a whole other conversation. Let's I let's agree be 100%. Let, let's be totally real. I think I think the first the first thing that needs to be done is we need to hire a new head coach. But then yeah, the second, I think that it, I think it's obvious. The second point. thing that needs to get done. What, well, what do you you, you spend? You, you spend less than five million dollars. And Blackham is a top basketball arena in the South. But even in spite of that, the point of the matter that I'm, that I think we're trying to make here is the fact that 250 people has nothing to do with playing in the Cajun Dome. It's just bad basketball. It's a bad product. And the reality is, is even in spite of the Cajun Dome being too big or being, you know, just not. But fitting, even but even if we can't use, there's no excuse for not to get four to five thousand people on regular on a regular basis like we do. Even but that's not good. But that's the that's the point about going to Blackham. Because even even if even if we're good, and we had four thousand people, the Cajun Dome's still not full. Well, no, I, I understand that. I, well, I the get point, what you're saying. The point I My was point trying is, to make is, was fan apathy. Fan yeah. apathy. Fans fire coaches. How many times have Jay, has Jay said that? Fans fire coaches. If fans fire coaches, Bob was done three years ago. But let's be honest. Yep. There ain't two thousand people in that dome. No, God no. Not, not at any given night. We played our rival on on uh, ESPN, and you could count the people. Look, at, I actually tried to to, <laughs> to further to further prove my point about playing in Blackham. Look at Cameron Indoor. It's Let still me, a smaller venue. I mean, we hold thirteen three, and we get yeah. seven hundred and thirty six. Yeah, it's, it's ninety. It's it, ninety three hundred. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It just it just doesn't but, make sense. But look, that that's a much larger topic that we should cover more. I think I think. Point is, I'm trying to make is that fan apathy is at an all time high, and team apathy coaching, is at an all time high. Yeah, that was the next thing. Is like, has the team the quit team the team has 100 percent quit? There have been times during the games that I was in the building for where defensively felt like they didn't quit, but there have been other times where I've watched where offensively, especially when they get down, they just don't play very hard. Maybe they don't believe in the offensive sets I, that much, where it just looks like what, they don't want to be there. Repeat what you just said. I said defensively, it looks like they're still engaged. But okay. there have been times offensively that, you know, I don't know what the issue is. Maybe they just don't believe in the sets. They don't believe Maybe. in the sets. Let me ask you, what sets? There's exactly. no offense. They don't, they they're don't not running an offense. There's no offense. Yeah, but that, that's that analytical crap that they believe in. It's, it's, it's isolation, pass the ball a couple times, and yes. shoot up a prayer. There's no it's offensive. Or it's a dunk. That's right. Guards aren't taking screens. Hell, right. most of the time, bigs aren't setting screens. Well, our guard play is, has been terrible for three or four it's, years. There, there's no offensive identity. Half the time, I, I, I kind of struggle to figure out what, what defense we're in, right. to, to be totally honest with you. Um, but at, at least they play hard defensively. I they do. I they do. I'll give them that. Them. I'm not saying that that is indicative of the result, but at least they and look like they're playing hard. Whether I die on this hill alone or not, Dude, I think the team's quit. I think they've given up. Well, if you we're gonna if find you, out this weekend, we're gonna find it, out this weekend with this Monroe split. Yeah, ULM is our rival. ULM is not a rival. Just you know, they are our rival. Continue to say it. No, they no, are our rival. Not. We're gonna it find might be out our rival in a darts until or, uh, until until Southern Miss our... joins the Sun Belt. ULM is our rival. Jesus Christ! I don't I think I cannot believe it. Especially we're, we're especially in basketball. Here. Who, who, who else is our rival? Georgia State? 
Yes. I don't consider them a rival. I don't uh, consider Georgia's, them a rival. ULM is not a rival. They suck at everything. We don't. We just suck at basketball. <laughs> but Men's but no, basketball. I think the, the larger question that we need to get to the bottom of, do this has kind of been taken off on the board. Do you let Brock Morris finish out the year? Everybody no. knows Bob is cooked. The staff knows. The players know. If you think they quit, they definitely know. It's, it's too late. It's too late we to can do that. Find, we, can, we can learn a few things about Brock Morris in the, in the tournament. That's my, my thing. Well, it's not happening. That's just it, it's it's, not it's too late to do yeah. that. that that's, throwing, that's throwing a coach to the wolves. You can't put a guy who's never had D1 head coaching experience as an acting head coach with four he games. He has had D1 coaching experience. Head coaching? He's two and zero on this team. Well, four as, as an actually. as an interim, oh, yeah, I'm talking about I'm talking about as a I'm talking about as a head coach. Oh, and all four wins are on the road because we all know it's so hard to win the Sun Belt on the road. It's impossible. I, I just I just think putting him firing Marlin and putting Brock Morris as acting head coach with four games left in the season going into the conference tournament that that that's trial by suicide. If I'm Brian, I sit down, Bob, and I say, Bob, thank you for everything you've done. You're a good man. We're going to go in another direction. I think we all know that. We're going to give Brock an opportunity to see what he can do. It's too late. For the benefit of the program as a whole because we've really got to get this next hire right. If we don't, we don't know if we can bring basketball back. It's too – if you were going to make that move, you needed to make that move going into conference. It's too late. It's too late to make that move. Matt, even you said it was too early. It was too early to panic back then. I knew it was coming. God. I'm not wrong. I mean, I'm not wrong. It was early, and you weren't 100% wrong. It, well, now it, it's too late to make that kind of move. You can't do that. You can't. I don't know. I think, I think there's something to it. That's going to put you in a worse place than, than you're currently in. Um, at, at this point, I think you just let the chips fall where they may. You play these last four games. You lose your first game of the conference tournament, and everybody goes home. And and you just you just call it what it is, and you regroup for next year. Uh, women's basketball, another just phenomenal season for Gary Broadhead and and his staff. Uh, Fourteen and six on the year. They've got ULM at home on, actually on the road on Saturday, two o'clock, and then they'll host the Georgias next weekend to close out the season before the conference tournament. But man, they're they're looking poised to to be a be a top seed going into that uh one of the top seeds going into that Sun Belt Conference tournament. So uh, uh that a little bit disappointing where they're at. I think they're what fourth right now? Fourth are they fourth? I thought I yeah, I expected them to be a little bit higher in division, but they've had some tough luck losses on the road. The other night they lost at the buzzer to was it was Texas it, State. Uh, Texas, Texas State. State. Yeah, that was tough. Uh real bad fourth quarter there, but they still I think yeah, like you said, get a good seed into the tournament. I think that they're definitely a threat. They showed last year that they could be a real threat. They're still a threat. I think it's fine. Transitioning from women's basketball to women's soccer, Lance Key. Uh, we haven't really talked about this since it happened. Lance Key has been has resigned as head coach of the Cajun soccer program. He is now at Hardin-Simmons University, a D3 school in Texas. Um, interesting development there. One thing that that I did realize is that it could be a family issue, and also, it is not. Let's be totally honest. Harden Simmons is probably paying him more. Yeah, uh, I don't think that that's the case. Uh, I think it's safe to say this now, from what I've been able to learn, it was a COVID vaccination issue. 
was not uh, interested in the old jab in the arm. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, you know, kind of tough to each their own. Each his own. Um, interesting development from the university as a whole. Um, the bookstore fanatics is going to take over online retail operations of the Rage and Cajuns bookstore and Barnes and Noble college will take over the textbook facets as well as the on-site apparel operations. And that's a subsidiary of Barnes and Noble, correct? Correct. Same company. Correct. Just a little bit different. It, it, yeah, it's going to be that. it's going to be the exact same setup that LSU was running. That's awesome. So, and Fanatics is uh, pretty much countrywide the best goal. They're they're the they're the number one fan site for fan apparel. 100%. Yeah, and so we should probably start to expect some jerseys here. I I bought I bought this shirt that I'm wearing right here on Fanatics. I want some jerseys, man. Well, they're, they're, that's going to happen too. That's going to happen. Good. That's great news. That's awesome news, and they need to be promoting that more. Uh, yeah, the the jerseys thing I think is going to be a, a thing down the line, uh, maybe right before football season. That would become a become a thing. Hopefully, we get some baseball jerseys because I need to own that cream colored Cajun script. So sick that uh, that we rock. Oh, J- Josh, are you ready for tennis? Yeah, yeah. So te- tennis has been pretty decent around here for a few years, but. They recently went on the road, beat Texas Tech in Lubbock in one of their uh, in, in their tournament. I can't remember what it's called, but they also faced uh, New Mexico State, who's a good tennis program. The team is currently seven and one. They've got some Sun Belt uh, Conference Player of the Week honors. It's a good team. It's the best start we've had in a very long time. They're gonna they they played Corpus Christi. I think they play Corpus Christi this weekend coming. Regardless, I just wanted to give the tennis team a shout out. Uh, also, that we have a player. With his last name, that's K A J I N. That's pretty sick. I don't know how he Kajin. it. That's pretty awesome, right? For yep. I mean, what? A, he, of course, he was going to come play here. Of course, uh, but I just Absolutely. wanted to Why wouldn't give, give them some shine, man. They they're out. They're beating good teams. Texas Tech is a P five ranked team. A great win for them, and uh, they deserve a shout out. So, thought we should say that. A big win. Nice win against a Big Twelve school. Biggest win in years. I'm so ready for this. I haven't hit this button on my keyboard in a very very long time Jerry Bear. do you know what time it is what time is it can I tell you what (laughs) man I tell you what a lot has changed over the past month from a personal standpoint parenthood hit the Bear household and with that came an appreciation to a new meaning of life, an experience that has created a challenge, but one that is definitely worthwhile and blessed. Another attribute that I've learned is the increase in the importance of time. Not the kind of being on time for a meeting or anything like that, but every second counting to catering to the needs of a human new to this world. With these learned characteristics, I've also learned to appreciate the little things in life but also not to waste time as daily rituals from feedings to diaper changes now cover my daily schedule. And this correlation of time and rituals with Rage and Cajun Athletics has definitely appeared recently across the board. We have seen the turnover of our football program upon its most successful season in its history. How coach Mike Desimo has had to turn over his coaching and support staff within a few months. 
We have seen our head coach of women's soccer abruptly leave out of nowhere as we now look for his replacement. And of course, as we just discussed, we are currently witnessing a paradigm shift even among the biggest supporters of men's basketball as unfortunate apathy has hit the program with unanswered questions of what happens next. With these issues, the cycle stays the same. The calendar year continues. And as part of the cycle, we enter the diamond sports season, the unique sweet spot of our athletic program, baseball and softball, two sports that our fan base really prides itself on. Need proof? Just go to a game and see the atmospheres for yourself. Unlike many mid-major athletic programs, it's these two sports that make our athletic calendar year exciting year-round. And with COVID restrictions decreasing, the anticipation of packed stadiums have returned. Look no further than the first six games at Lamson Park as our softball team lived up to the hype and their reputation of a national powerhouse going 6-0 and and outscoring their opponents by a combined score of 56-2. to And of course, it's opening weekend at the Teague at Russo Park. Fans will finally get to experience the smells of Mr. Vic's Peanuts, as well as the cooking club. They'll get to experience the sounds of the crowd from areas like Section A. And of course, the greatest seventh inning stretch of all of baseball as 6,000 strong sing along to center field during the seventh inning stretch. With the end of a magical football season and sitting through a rough basketball season, the value of time has created anticipation for this time uh, of the athletic calendar. But with the diamond sports seasons, time will become once again important, such as the timing of a big weekend series that can change the trajectory of our seasons, like the opening weekend series tomorrow night at Teague Field at Russo Park. Or the timing of a possible sudden injury, knock on wood that this doesn't happen, but the response to the next player up and how they step up and react, such as issues with last year's softball team. And the timing of in-game decisions by our respected coaching staffs. All of these team rituals that can determine the fate of whether or not we see success and call this a successful year. But one other ritual still remains. Our fans will be ready to show up and be loud, to hold up our reputation as one of the most loyal fan bases in America when it comes to baseball and softball. Whether it's a good time at Lamson or Russo Park, the ritual definitely remains the same. Let's play ball. Man, I tell you what. Good to have you back, bud. That's going to do it for this episode of Region Review. We appreciate you guys taking the time to hang out with us. Baseball tomorrow. Six, two, and 12 this weekend. Come hang out with us at Legends Sunday night um, to recap this opening weekend and just, you know, like I said, just hang out. Um, Josh and I will be there. Like I said, come hang out, pass a good time, and um, we'll be back next week with a recap and a preview of Round Rock. What a great weekend that's going to be. For Matt, Jerry, and Josh, once again, appreciate you guys taking the time. Follow us on social media. And this episode coming at you very soon. Next episode, like I said, early next week. You know the drill, as always. 